This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Idea to Life podcast. This is the podcast for you if you're getting started selling products or if you'd like to create your own product to sell. I'm Vicky Weinberg, a product creation coach and Amazon expert. Every week I share friendly, practical advice as well as inspirational stories from small businesses. Let's get started. Hi, I hope you're having a great day so far. So today on the podcast, I'm speaking to Kirsty Brummel. Kirsty helps businesses ranging from startups to larger corporations to effectively protect, enforce and manage their trademarks and designs. She gives advice on copyright matters and helps businesses realise the potential of their intellectual property. So this is an episode I've been wanting to record for quite some time. I was just looking for the perfect person and then along came Kirsty, which was fantastic. So I get lots of questions about patents, trademarks, copyrights how to keep your intellectual property safe um and Kirsty is the perfect person to answer all of those questions so we go into detail about all the different kinds of intellectual property um what you need to do to register how much it costs and what to do if you believe someone is violating your copyright and also what to do if you get contacted by someone to say that you are violating theirs so all in all I think there is a lot that we can all learn from this episode I certainly learned lots of things I didn't know before um and I guess the key thing I want you to take away is that Kirsty makes this kind of complex subject um a lot less scary um I think her overline message is whatever happens please don't panic um and I think that's a really reassuring message I hopefully you will feel the same after you've listened to the episode and if you have any questions at all on anything that Kirsty's covered in this episode you'll be able to contact her via the details in the show notes so I'd love now to introduce you to Kirsty. so hi Kirsty. thank you so much for being here Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on the podcast. You're so welcome. Can we start by you please give an introduction to yourself, your business and what you do? Yeah, sure. So my name's Kirsty Bramell. I'm a chartered UK trademark attorney and I um, set up Trademark Tonic um, in May 2020. And basically I help businesses and individuals to protect their intellectual property rights. So covering trademarks and designs and copyright mainly um, and just helping in all aspects, whether that be protection, enforcement, management um, and anything to do with IP matters. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So I know this is a huge, huge topic, Kirsty. So let's start um, by talking about intellectual property and maybe what that means and what are some of the things that we could protect as a small business? Yeah, sure. So in terms of intellectual property, um, it's a, an umbrella term, which basically it's um, to do with intangible assets. And that covers um, 
things such as trademarks, designs, copyright, patents, and there's also some other um, topics as well that it can cover off. But those are the main um, four, and I specialise particularly in trademarks, designs, and copyright. Um, so with trademarks, that covers um, brand names and logos, and um, basically um, you know, registering a trademark, for example, to obtain protection and be able to um, help you to defend your brand name against other businesses if, if necessary, and also to build up your own rights in relation to a brand name or logo. Um, designs could include registering a design again to try and help protect it, um, to be able to prevent other people, you know, from from copying or um, having a sort of identical type of design or something very closely similar. Um, and copyright is an automatic right in the UK, and that can cover things. Um, it's sort of like a, a, a broad variety of things, such as books and magazines. It could include drawings. Um, it could include sculptures. Um, so all sorts of things that fall under copyright, and that comes into existence once you record um, whatever it is. So, for example, drawings that you actually record them down and then you would have copyright in relation to that. Um, and then patents as well, which is to do with inventions. And um, basically, there needs to be an inventive step um, and capable of industrial application. Um, and also, it needs to be novel in order to obtain a patent registration, for example, in the UK. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um... So just coming back to copyrights, you mentioned that you have automatic copyright. What what does that mean, Kirsty? So in the UK, um, basically, with certain types of intellectual property, for example, with trademarks and designs and also patents, you can go through um, registration. So, for example, with trademarks, you might want to um, register your brand name at the Intellectual Property Office, um, which can be done online. Um, and the UK IPO, which is what it's called, is based in Newport, they've also got an office in London, but a lot of um, services are provided online. Um, so there's that registration route. But with copyright, um, you don't have to go through this registration route in the UK. It's just basically automatic that it comes into existence once you've recorded the works that you've created. Um, you know, for example, down on a piece of paper, or maybe you've created something on the computer. Um, and once it's recorded, um, down or recorded in writing, so to speak, then the author of that work will have copyright protection, basically, in, in that work itself. Oh, okay. I didn't realise that. Do you have to do anything to prove, like, when you created it, for example? Yes. Yeah, so that's one thing that I always um, sort of mention, you know, to businesses and individuals when they come and they ask about copyright is to make sure, if possible, um, when you're creating any new work, so maybe, you know, if you're doing drawings or, um, you know, you're, you're writing a book or whatever it is, that basically along the way you're making records of, you know, the dates of creation of certain pieces of work and also who created it. So if it's yourself, um, you know, sort of keeping a record of that. Um, and then that could all be used if, if necessarily down the line as evidence, you know, if there was any sort of dispute in relation to, for example, who owns copyright in a work. Um, and also, you know, if anyone came along and say um, copied book material, that you then might want to use your records and evidence in a um, worst case scenario, last resort court case against another business, maybe, or an individual. That makes sense. Thank you. Um, 
So let's say that someone's looking to get some kind of protection for whether it's their brand name or it's a a patent. Are there any steps we need to take before going ahead and registering? Yes. So um, depending on what you're looking to protect, um, for example, with patents, um, there are certain criteria you have to meet. So for, um, say, an invention to actually be patentable in the first place, um, it would have to be novel. So it has to be new and not already out there, you know, like in the public domain. It has to have an inventive step, um, something that's not obvious, that's that's inventive about, um, you know, what you've um created in terms of the invention and then it has to be capable of industrial application so before actually then trying to you know like file a patent application you want to make sure first of all that you've met those criteria where possible so that you know you don't want to sort of waste money you know like filing the application and find out it wasn't patentable in the first place it's good to, to look at that first of all and also the other important angle is to do any relevant um searching so freedom to operate searching where you're basically seeing whether there's any existing patents um inventions out there where you could be infringing those patent rights if you were to um basically you know like use your invention in commerce or you know then filing this patent application whether there might be any issues and conflicting with existing rights um and that's patents and then um, the same type of things carry across, you know, to, um, for example, trademarks and designs as well, where, again, searching is very important where possible before, for example, filing a trademark application to make sure that your new brand name or logo wouldn't be infringing an existing um, trademark right and registered trademark right, for example, in the UK, um, or that there wouldn't be um, sort of a passing off issue, which basically if you're using a brand name over time in the UK and you've built up some goodwill, um, you can um, have established basically um, passing off rights, so to speak, and it's to make sure you're not conflicting with those rights as well, where people have built up um, goodwill over time in relation to a brand name. So sort of registered and under registered rights to look at. Um, so yeah, definitely searching is 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 quite important I would say and then on the trademark side as well um, it's making sure um, and this is another important point that your new brand name or logo is actually distinctive enough in the first place to obtain a registration so what happens when you file for example a trademark application at the UK Intellectual Property Office is that it will get examined um, after about two to four weeks from filing and the examiner at the office will be looking at um, a trademark application with the, with the brand name or logo to see is it distinctive enough to actually be registered as a trademark? Would it be seen as a badge of origin by consumers? Um, so they make an assessment. And in terms of being distinctive, the, the, the best and the strongest trademarks are those, for example, that are invented words or maybe you've got a combination of two unusual terms brought together whereas weaker trademarks and those which could be hard to protect would be more on the descriptive side um so it's like you know the classic sort of like trying to register apple for apples and and that kind of thing um so where possible um selecting a good and strong brand name or having a, a good logo in the first place could be important for creating the biggest bubble of protection around your um, brand or logo and also hopefully decreasing the chances of issues you know like with other 
um, businesses as well, um, because the more distinctive and sort of inventive a name is, the less likely, hopefully, that you'd be then conflicting with other trademark rights. That's really helpful. Thank you. And I think I heard something once before, you'll be able to tell me if this is correct, Kirsty, that you can't register the same name if there's a company in the same industry, like in a company in the same industry with the same name that can be a problem but let's say you were going to open an e-commerce business you can open a, a, sh- a shop but there was a garden a garden and a gardening business with a similar name that would be okay is that correct or not correct so it, it can depend um on basically what the sort of rights are that for example that business has to do with um you know like e-commerce let's say um and whether their rights are really limited to that specific area. And they've got, for example, a UK trademark registration where they've just covered certain classes that cover off, you know, their products and services of interest um, and not covering, for example, gardening products and services. So there's a, you know, like that distinction in terms of what's, um, there's a classification system basically that, you know, trademarks are, are filed for. And if you're in separate classes, then a lot of the time, there can be that distinction and also commercial differences and these um, different, um, you know, if you're then filing an application that can coexist basically alongside this other registration, which is in a you know a different class. And also if the owner's you know, like got no issues with this new application coming through with the same name. Now, sometimes there could be businesses that have um, an established reputation. I mean, particularly, you know, like big business multinationals, where they might have covered so many classes in their trademark application, but because they have a reputation and because they're so well known, then basically it broadens out, you know, the the extent of their trademark rights. And then they can basically oppose, for example, a new application on the basis of their reputation, even, you know, extending to dissimilar um, classes of goods and services. So in that situation, there could still potentially be an issue. But a lot of the time, you know, you can find the same brand name where there's different classes. Um, I would still say that, you know, I'd be quite cautious about, you know, when it is the same brand name, making sure there'd be no conflict and seeing, you know, what the sort of commercial interests are of the owner. Um, sometimes you can sort of try it out and test the water and, and see how it goes. Um, but the other thing to mention as well is even if you obtain a trademark registration, there is um, still a sort of vulnerability in terms of it's still possible to cancel a registration. So even when you've got a registration, none of a business could come along and try and cancel that on the basis of, for example, if they've got earlier trademark rights. Um, I mean, hopefully that wouldn't happen, but it's just to be aware that even when you have the registration, that doesn't mean it's 100% safe, so to speak. That's really useful. Thank you. So when we're registering trademarks, do we have to think about registering them for all the different classes or just stick to the classes that are relevant? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. Um, And it can depend on certain factors. Um, So for example, if you've got a business and you're just in a specific area, um, let's say, you know, maybe like beauty products or something like that, then you might want to um, start off and that falls um, a lot of the time under class three. Um, but maybe you're thinking in a few years' time, already you know you might be expanding your product range, maybe like going into um, sort of um, medic, 
um, medicated kind of products or something like that, which would fall under class five. So you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm planning on doing this. So you might want to cover, you know, more than you'd be using um, sort of currently, but, you know, sort of trying to cover off what you're planning to use down the line and um, intended use, so to speak. Um, but it can come down to budget as well sometimes as to, you know, how many classes you cover will increase the cost, you know, like in terms of, for example, the official fees at the UK and selected property office. So then um, sometimes it come, might come down to your core classes of interest at the beginning. And then maybe later down the line, when you've got more budget to be thinking about filing, maybe like another trademark application, you might want to then cover off different classes. Um, but again, um, the other thing, the sort of thing to think about and there's all the sort of different things to think of all the time is that um you know is is it good to cover up what you can at the beginning just to avoid um you know like later on down the line could someone else come along and then maybe um cause a conflict you know with like new classes that you might want to then cover um so certainly it's something to be sort of carefully thinking about at the beginning um but a lot of the time I find that um when businesses come to me you know it's more about the sort of um, especially when they're starting up just about the core classes at the beginning and then maybe sort of thinking further down the line about covering off other classes. That makes sense. Thank you. Um, you mentioned costs a moment ago, Kirsty. So this is probably a good time to talk about costs. And I really appreciate you will not be able to give us exact costs because there'll be so many different scenarios for every different, you know, every different business. Everyone listening will have their own unique situation. But can you perhaps give us some ballpark figures for what we're looking at if we want to protect our intellectual property, please? Yes, of course. So with um, trademarks, as an example, um, there's a set of official fees. And then if you seek professional help, there'll be a professional fee on top of that. So we're really talking about um, in the hundreds in terms of, for example, trademarks and designs. With trademarks specifically, as an example, the official fee at the UKIPO um, would be £170 when you file online for one class of goods or services and then for each extra class of goods or services that you add the official fee would be 50 pounds for each extra class that you add on and then on top of that there'll be professional fee and that basically can range you know like in the low hundreds to the to the mid hundreds depending on the firm that you you go to um and with designs it's in the sort of low hundreds as well and then in terms of patents, that's more expensive. And usually you're looking at in, in the thousands in terms of um, the sort of like the searching and the filing process. Um, and also the, the patent timeline is a lot longer as well, you know, like compared to trademarks and designs. Thank you so much for explaining that. Um, how about if you're on a bit of a budget, are there ways to protect your intellectual property without spending lots of money, at least at the outset? Yes, yeah, so I would say that, um, you know, you, you, if you're on a limited budget, you could, for example, look to um, try and file a trademark application just for your main brand name or maybe a combined mark. So you're going for your um, brand name and maybe like a sort of logo um, that you'd be using them both in co um, commerce, but trying to cover off under under one mark, you know, right, rather than filing separate applications for each element um now that could be good from a, a budget point of view because you might be filing one application instead of two at the same time um when you're trying to get the broadest protection possible um it's advisable you know to to try and um 
while these different elements, so for example, the plain words of your um, main brand name, you might want to file a separate application for um, a logo image um, to basically get the broadest level of protection surrounding that um, element. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you're weighing it up against the budget, then you might want to go for a combined mark or just filing maybe just for the brand name if that's the main thing you'll use. And also, if you're planning on changing your logo image or you might be updating it along the way, then you probably wouldn't want to file for that until you've definitely got that sort of finalised and also that you would be using it for the foreseeable future so that you don't have to then keep sort of, you know, like refiling down the line for the logo image. That's really helpful. Thank you. So once you have some protection in place, is that enough? Can we just sit back and relax now or do we need to continually monitor? Um, yeah, what what do we ne- do next, Kirsty? Um, so in terms of um, having a registration, I mean, that's great. You know, if you've managed to obtain a trademark registration, then that gives you um, the right to be able to, for example, prevent another business or individual from using an identical or a confusingly similar brand name or logo where it covers off identical or similar goods and services. So that's what the registration gives you the right to do. So you could, for example, um, send a cease and desist letter to prevent someone using, um, say, the same brand name in commerce um, where they're covering overlapping goods and services. Or it could be that you could file an opposition against a new application because you've seen, you know, that maybe, again, the identical brand name is coming through and it covers um, similar maybe goods to what you're covering. Um, so it's it's good in terms of um, giving you those rights. Now, how you can see whether, you know, like there's a new application with a, a conflicting brand name, um, the UK IPO is good in that it does um, basically at examination phase do, um, the examiner does their own search and they look for um, identical or similar existing marks. And what they do is they'll notify those existing owners, you know, of this new application, unless the applicant can successfully argue that the marks are are basically dissimilar or the goods and services don't um, overlap in terms of being identical or similar. So you could be notified by the UK IPO, you know, of a new application coming through, but that's no guarantee, you know, like in terms of the search that they do, it's not sort of 100% um, foolproof, so to speak. Um, so you can also, as a separate um, action, set up um, a monitoring or watching service, and that can be done, you know, like through professional help. So, for example, I help businesses with um, reporting out, you know, like a watching service every month as to what's coming through the system, maybe application-wise, or you could be monitoring online in terms of what's actually being used um, how the brand name that you've got, you know, is it being used out there um, by other parties when that when they shouldn't be using it? Is anyone else using the same name? Um, is there any sort of conflict in terms of the way that your brand name might be being used by another business? Um, so yeah, there's certainly ways, you know, you could monitor and watch, um, or you could do your own manual checking as well. You know, depending on maybe looking at the UK register and putting in, for example, your brand name and seeing what comes out. But um, I mean, I definitely um, sort of recommend getting professional advice where possible, um, just so you're covering off, you know, all the sort of relevant angles. That's really good advice. Thank you. Because I think a lot of us would be really tempted to say, well, I've registered and I'm protected and then leave it at that. Um, And then perhaps you only find out something goes wrong 
when something really goes wrong. And, and let's talk a little bit about that, actually, Kirsty, because something I've seen, um, I've seen a few instances of this on social media. I actually had a lady on, I come on my podcast who this has happened to. Um, and the thing I wanted to talk about is when someone sort of copies, whether it's your products, your branding. Um, so I'm, I've seen a few stories you probably have about bigger brands, maybe copying something that's the work of an individual or a small brand. What do you do when that happens to you what steps would you advise someone takes yes so I mean it can depend as to what is actually being done um so for example um on the trademark side you know if you can see that maybe someone's copied your logo um, and you've got that registered um then there would be the option to um basically contact um that business or individual to let them know about your registered trademark rights and that you've seen you know that they're basically using this logo in commerce and it's conflicting with your registered right um and that you're giving them the opportunity to basically either stop using um or for example if they've filed an application to then withdraw that application otherwise you're going to take further action so it's whether you want to contact them yourself or again I always recommend where possible to seek professional advice. And that's on the basis that it's always good to know and do a bit of research first as to what are the extent of the rights of the other business or individual, as in, you know, sort of what are they doing? And um, for example, maybe if it was a similar logo, it's checking that they haven't been using that for a long time, you know, like just independently, and maybe their rights could actually be earlier than your own. So that you wouldn't want to contact basically another business only to find out actually they've got earlier registered or um, so-called unregistered rights um, than you, for example, in maybe like a brand name or a logo, and that they could then counter that. So it's doing the research in the first place to, it's like, right, what are the rights that each um, business has? And when do they date back to if you can find out that information first? And then that sort of helps establish, you know, is this the right thing to do to contact them um and there might be different ways to contact them so um there's sort of you know you could do it through um an ip firm or through a, a firm like trademark tonic where they're writing on behalf on your behalf and um setting out your registered rights or it could be a business to business contact um and just um sort of taking a bit of a softer approach so to speak and um trying to sort of give them the chance, you know, to, to stop doing what, the, what they're doing before then taking any further action. And I think it depends on who the businesses are, um, you know, like what size they are, um, what they're doing, and as to, you know, like deciding which route might be best to go down. That makes sense. Thank you. And what about for copyright issues? Would that be the same kind of process? Yeah, so for copyright, um, again, um, definitely doing that sort of research piece it's, you know, what is being copied, if anything. Um, so maybe, you know, for example, you've got a website and um, you've got certain materials like written um, text and there's big chunks, you know, that have been copied, say, by, I mean, hopefully not, <laughs> but, you know, like by another business, you can suddenly see it's like, hang on a minute, that's, that's all the text from my website. Um, then again, you know, I'd be checking. It's like, when was this other business set up? Um can you see, um, you know, like when the domain name was registered, what, when this material might have been sort of taken over? Um, and then, again, it's, it's establishing that in the first place to make sure, you know, you're right in basically contacting them and, you know, this is your material and 
um, you know, that you created something maybe like five years ago and um, you've obviously um, sort of in the right to be able to then ask them to not be copying um, what has been created. Um, and again, you could either do that, um, you know, like through a professional firm or you could do it business to business again. Um, and sometimes um, I think it's good to know who, you know, you're getting in touch with and what that business is like and um, what the sort of outcome of that might be. Because, you know, as you've seen from some of the bigger cases, you know, like the M&S and Aldi and, and even this Percy Pigs <laughs> matter that's come out this week with this ice cream, that, um, you know, sometimes you have to think as well about um, sort of publicity. And, for example, if you send a cease and desist letter, is that going to end up in the public domain? Could there be some sort of negative publicity, you know, around depending on how you contact another business. But at the same time, it's like that absolute importance of you've um, basically created something which has copyright. You are then um, within your right to protect that work. And obviously you don't want that being sort of copied and disseminated, you know, like throughout the internet without your um, permission. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, it can be a sort of tricky one, you know, like to work out the best strategy. And that's why, again, you know, going sort of via a, a professional firm can be a good option where budget's available just because then they can suggest, you know, like the different options and what might be the best route. That makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, I, I feel like getting professional advice is key here actually because it seems really tricky to navigate um and and you might possibly say the same for my next question which is what do you do if the opposite happens and somebody contacts you and says you've infringed on my copyright or my trademark or look let's assume it's copyright because let's let's say that we've all done our checks before we've registered a trademark and that's all fine but if a company comes to you and says actually you've infringed upon our copyright um we sell a t-shirt that looks like this and now you're selling a t-shirt that looks like this what do you do if that happens um yeah so if it was like the, the sort of design drawing you know like on on a t-shirt or um maybe like copied a logo that you know had copyright protection in it then I would definitely in that way around um I think where possible and again where budget allows seeking some professional advice first off would be important because it would be to establish are you actually um infringing that copyright um you know is there an issue at all here or if not can you then basically push back and say you know you've taken legal advice and actually this isn't copyright infringement and you know you're not going to be stopping doing what you're doing um on the other hand you know if there is a conflict and the advice is you know this this could potentially be an issue in terms of infringement um then you might want to think about um whether there's any amendments for example you could make in terms of like a design drawing or a logo or maybe coming up with something new um and um worst case scenario you know like having to withdraw maybe certain products um but again i think where you can it's good to get that advice because if you sort of rush in and reply and um you know, without maybe like knowing the facts, then it could potentially be detrimental as to, you know, the sort of escalation or, or the outcome. Um, so, yeah, again, where possible. <laughs> and do we need to really panic if this happens? Are we going to get massive fines or or anything like that? 
usually I would say um, try not to panic. You know, if you received a cease and desist letter, um, normally it's a, a pretty sort of standard thing, you know, that, that IP lawyers might do, you know, like in terms of um, on, on behalf of their client um, as an initial action, sending the cease and desist letter out. Um, normally there's a period of time given to maybe like withdraw um, an application if that's what you filed or, you know, to stop using commerce as a worst case scenario um, within within a certain period of time, but also within that period of time that you could seek advice and then sort of get a reply sent, um, you know, maybe like countering what they've sent. Um, usually um, most businesses are not looking for a big fight or, you know, like as a, a court action would be an absolute last resort um, and worst case scenario normally most disputes don't actually come, you know, like to a court action. And normally, hopefully, there'd be a way to try and resolve the matter. Um, for example, um, if there's any sort of commercial differences between parties, sometimes things can be resolved on the basis of those commercial differences. Or there might be a compromise position where you might agree, for example, on the trademark side, maybe to use a, a logo or brand name in a specific form. Um, not use, um, you know, like sort of font or stylization that the other business has um, and different things that could be agreed upon in what you'd call a coexistence agreement so that parties, you know, like can coexist side by side. But maybe there's some restrictions on what you're doing, depending on who's got the stronger and earlier rights, so to speak. Um, so there's definitely ways, you know, to um, hopefully maybe have a friendly settlement if there's any room for that or, you know, to withdraw um, an application or stop using in commerce if you have to. Um, and um, it depends, you know, like in terms of who the other business is as to whether they, um, you know, for example, they might ask sometimes for their legal fees to be covered and um, um, any sort of items that have already been sold to be withdrawn. And, um, you know, they might sort of ask for certain conditions surrounding um resolving like a cease and desist um but hopefully you know these sort of things are um the sort of the worst case scenario end and definitely the court case would be the absolute worst case scenario so okay. yeah so in most cases hopefully it would all work out one way or another <laughs> thank you well the main message I'm getting is don't panic so that's good <laughs> so yeah. nobody panic okay thank you Kirsty. I've just got a few more questions before we finish up um my next one didn't I wasn't really sure where to fit this in so I'm going to ask it now at the end if that's okay so often um we all see little circles you know in text and there's either a tm in a circle or an r in a circle could you please explain um what these actually mean I'm guessing tm is trademark but um I'll let you tell me I don't know what r stands for <laughs> would you mind letting us know what these are um and when they can be used please Yes, of course. And this is like a really good thing to cover um, because I think a lot of businesses and um, the people out there, you know, like are still wondering what all these symbols mean. So in terms of the R in a circle, the R means registered and you can use the R in a circle when, for example, you have a trademark registration in place. So in the UK, once you have that registration, you could be using the R in a circle next to your brand name or logo, depending on what you've had registered. Um, and you basically can't use the R in a circle if you don't, don't have that registration um, in place yet. Um, so it's actually would be um, 
you know, like a legal requirement to only use it, you know, once you've had the registration. Whereas the TM, which means trademark symbol, that can be used at any time um, next to your brand name or logo. So even if you haven't filed a trademark application, you could still, for example, be using the TM in a circle. Or if you've got an application in place, you could use it. Or even if you've got a registration, you might opt to use the TM in a circle rather than the R in a circle. And that might be, um, for example, in cases where you're um, maybe like um, selling products in different markets, maybe like say like the UK and then across the EU, and you don't have trademark registrations in place in certain countries. So when you have your packaging, it might be easier just to use the TM in a circle across those markets because um, then that doesn't um, have any issues, you know, like in terms of using the R in a circle where you don't have registrations yet. The other thing I would say is um, the rules can vary slightly depending on the countries of interest. So it's always good to check, you know, like locally outside of the UK as to what those um, rules might be. Um, but in the UK anyway, it's um, more easygoing in terms of the TM in a, in a circle and then obviously only using the R in a circle once you have a registration. That makes sense. Thank you. And I guess if you're not sure, again, this is another area you can get some professional advice on if you're not sure which you should be using where. Oh, thank you so much, Kirsty. So I've got one final question to end on, if that's okay, which is what is your number one piece of advice when it comes to protecting your intellectual property? So what's the one thing you want people to um, take away from this? Um, yeah, I would just say... Um, well, just a couple of things, <laughs> sort that's of like, if that's okay. But one of them would be um, to do your research at the beginning as to, you know, depending on what the IP is. So if it's um, a trademark that you want to try and register, is your brand name or logo um, distinctive enough to register in the first place? Trying not to opt for descriptive terms where possible. So coming up, you know, with an invented brand name if possible. Um, something unusual that would stand out and be unique so that you have that biggest bubble of protection possible basically surrounding your trademark um, and also um, making sure where, where budget allows to do that searching before you file an application or before you start using in commerce to try and make sure you're not infringing anybody else's um, registered rights or that there could be any um, passing off issues in terms of use of the brand name over time where Goodwill's been built up, for example, in the UK. Um, and then the same, you know, with patents as well, is just making sure, you know, um, an invention, for example, is patentable in the first place before you would then file a patent application, doing a freedom to operate search um, before filing as well where budget allows. Um, and then the same on the design side as well, just making sure that it um, fits the criteria in terms of being new and having individual character and doing any searching where you can. Um, so it basically puts you in a good position, you know, before you start doing any filings and um, to, to sort of help you with the um, obtaining rights, but also not wasting money, you know, like on filing applications where you might not be able to obtain the registration. That's really yeah. helpful. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything that you shared with us. It's been really useful. Thank you. <laughs> it's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week.
If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.